I want to minister to you for a second because the truth came out and Jesus was exonerated on that Sunday morning when he rose from the dead and appeared for days and days and days to multiple people proving that he actually did rise from the dead. What betrayal have you faced that you just cannot move forward? What is it? Is it anger or do you have angst? Do you have frustration? Do you have, what is it? Because we need to look at Jesus's example so much closer in this Easter season. It's time now for the Autumn Miles Show. Let's go. Hey, hey guys, it's your girl, Autumn Miles. Welcome back to another edition of the Autumn Miles Show. And y'all, let me tell you, we are rolling into my absolute favorite time of the year, except for July 4th and Christmas. <laughs> Easter, Easter season is here and I have literally, oh my goodness, you guys, I have prayed over these messages. I have cried over this message that I'm going to deliver to you guys today. I have sat in the contents of what I'm sharing this week and probably some next week. And it has destroyed me, like in the best way. It has destroyed me. I can't get away from it. I went, I had to run a couple of errands today and all I was doing was thinking about it. Every year, the God is so faithful. We will never see the end of the wisdom of the, the Easter story ever. We will never see the end of the wealth of the truth that is in uh, the crucifixion, the whole process and the resurrection of Jesus. You're never going to get there. You've not heard it all. You've not seen it all. And that is how amazing God is, the God that we serve. We are going to, and I'm going to tell you this straight out the gate because I want you to, if you don't have time to listen to this whole thing right now, come back to it because I am talking the entire time today about betrayal. And I could preach right then. <laughs> I could go off, but I'm not because I have stuff I have to do first. I'm going to talk completely about betrayal, everything that maybe you might just need to hear. Maybe you're asking God for, y'all, I am knee deep in this and it's destroyed me. And I have had to just get on my knees and say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your example. Okay. That's after the break. What is happening in my life? Okay. So we just got back from spring break. Um, we went to Austin. A lot of you guys know that we live in Dallas. Austin is like, you know, not that far away. It's a nice short little drive from, um, Dallas. Uh, we don't go to Austin a ton, which I don't even know why we should, we should go more, but we went to Austin. We kind of stayed at like this ranch. Like that's, I think that's what it was. It's my version of camping. <laughs> I ain't trying to get like a, a tent and any, any, anything with poles or like, you know, fishing, fishing poles, tent poles, none of the, I don't want any of it. Okay. I'm not, that's not my, my vibe. 
vibe, you know, I'll do it if I have to, but I don't think I've been camping in like 30 years since I lived at my parents' house. Okay. Uh, my boys go all the time, but so we kind of did like a compromise thing. Cause I do love the outdoors. I like sitting in it. I like doing s'mores. <laughs> I like taking walks. I love those kind of things, but like, I'm not trying to like hike up Mount Everest or anything. So we go to Austin and um, this particular place we had never been before. And my son, Jude, he's got a mouth on him. And so <laughs> we walk out of this place that we're staying at, which is actually super beautiful. It's like a family resort over there. And they have all of the games, you guys, all the games. Like they have the game that I don't even understand. What's the thing where you like twirl the men and they're like hitting a ball back and forth. I don't get that game. Don't understand that game. I don't even think I know what the name of it is. I'd have to think about it. It's like the pointless game. Now, I understand that maybe you love that game with the little people that twirl. Not, no, no. There's chess, which I've never learned to play chess. <laughs> I'm really outing myself. I'm pretty much a boring person. Um, Moses did, however, teach me how to play chess. And P.S., by the way, don't let your eight-year-old teach you how to play chess because he doesn't know how to play. <laughs> Let's just leave it there. He's, um, he's not an expert yet. So I was trying, but I was in checkmate in like probably a minute and 30 seconds. So there's a chess place for like, you know, the two little stools and people are playing chess and it's lovely and there's tennis and there's that pickleball thing that everyone's playing right now, um, which actually does look fun. I would totally play it. There is, what is it, the, the uh, cornhole, which I've never learned how to play. I learned how to play last week. There is horseshoes, like all this. So there is like this huge field of like all of this stuff to do. And I am like, you can't use your phones. You like, I don't want you to use your phones. I don't want you to like do any of those things. You are, you are ours. Like we are going to sit, we're going to, we're going to talk. We're going to do whatever it is that we need to do. Um, and we're going to have family time. So Jude has a mouth on him. And the, the big game that was highlighted to me was ping pong. Now. I grew up with a ping pong table in my parents' house. My dad was a pastor. We had people at our house and um, we always had to have something to do with the kids because we didn't have cell phones to do games back then or iPads or anything like that. That wasn't even invented yet. Um, and there's this ping pong table and I like walk out and all of a sudden it's like, oh, like the angels sing. Uh, the heavens are parted. The Lord is pointing right towards this ping pong table. And my son, as I have stated previous, who likes to talk a big game, looks at me and says, mom, I'm about to put you down. And I was like, really? Bring it on. I beat my son at least 10 or 11 times. It was, it was beautiful. <laughs> And he just kept coming back for more. Mom, one more game, one more game. Winner takes all, mom. This winner of this game takes all. I'm like, great, no problem. I have nothing to lose. Winner takes all. And then I beat him again and he come back. Mom, I am awesome at this game. Do it again, mom. Mom, let's do it again. I could do, I play at school. I beat everyone at school. I'm like, well, your school friends really aren't that good if your mom who's 42 years old can kick your butt, okay? That's all I'm saying. Your mom is kicking your butt at this game. Beat him again, beat him again, beat him again. Finally, I was like, son, are you not embarrassed that all of these five-year-old kids are watching you lose to your mom? <laughs> no, mom, let's play again. 
Then he wants to play his dad. Now, Eddie will, he is so nice until he's not. <laughs> and he is not nice when it comes to games. He will, he will win at all costs. So poor Jude got roasted by his dad, I don't know, 10, 15 times. It was really sad. At the end, I kind of wanted to let back a little bit, but his mouth is so bad, guys. <laughs> I just had to beat him. It was beautiful. Then Grace comes and she says, Mom, let's play cornhole. And I'm like, I'll play you in cornhole if I'm on your dad's team <laughs> because I don't want to play against Eddie, but I will play with him on a team. And you guys, I have to tell you, it was the most, it was the funnest night of my life because we kicked their butts in cornhole. We were just winning all the way around. And you know, when you have older kids and only people that have older kids will understand this. And they tell you, you're old mom, you can't do this. You, and then you do it. And then you do it again and again and again. It just feels good. It just feels good. It was great. Anyway. That's what's happening in my life. <laughs> Happy Easter. Happy Easter. That's happening in my life. Yeah. We're going to talk about betrayal right after the break. I do not want you to go anywhere. You guys, it's going to be good. If you've got a betrayal in your life and you need to get over it. You need to move past it. Woo. I got a word for you. See you in a sec. Every day, a new day. Yeah. Vibing in the spirit makes me have a blessed day. Yeah. Let's go, X, Y, Z, A, yeah. Did you know that Autumn has many resources available to help you grow deeper in your relationship with God? By visiting autumnmiles.com, you can access them all. From there, you can find previous teachings under the podcasts and media tabs. And you can order any one of the books Autumn has written. Her book, Appointed, will help you better understand that your significance is only found in God. While I Am Rahab beautifully conveys God's ability to redeem any situation you may have found yourself in. And if you want to add some heat to your prayer life and kick things up a notch, Gangsta Prayer is a book that will help you do just that. Again, you can find all these resources and more by visiting autumnmiles.com. Every day, a new day, yeah. Vibing in the spirit makes me have a blessed day, yeah. Let's go, X, Y, Z, A, yeah. Okay, guys, we are back. I am like trying to be super, super focused because guys, this is going to be, um, I hope this is going to just set you free. When we started talking about Easter, I don't even, I think it was, it was in a creative team meeting. We do creative team meetings once a week. Okay. And we kind of come up with, what do we feel like God is saying? And I think it was in one of those meetings. What is God saying about our future? What do we want to do for Easter? Obby, Easter comes around every single year, so we know to prepare for it. But in, in this one particular meeting, I was thinking, you know, guys, I'm praying about it. I don't have exactly what God wants me to talk about. And then somewhere, somehow, somewhere, I don't know if it was me. I don't know if it was one of the other girls. I, I really, I do not remember. But we started talking about Judas. And we started talking about betrayal and that led to Kate, one of the girls on our team, we started saying, throwing around the term 30 pieces, 30 pieces of, of silver, 30 pieces. And 
after that meeting, I got off the meeting and I was just completely obsessed <laughs> with this part of the Easter story. Um, you guys know I love to do character studies and, and things like that. And this, obviously, we're going to talk about Judas because 30 pieces of silver. If you know anything about the Bible, we'll talk about Judas. But I really want to talk about you. Betrayal is one of those things that you don't hear. It's not like a, it's not like a term that you talk about a lot, but it happens a lot. Okay. It's not a term that maybe you hear preached a lot, but you know you live it a lot. If you have not lived a betrayal, just keep on living because it is 100% coming. Okay. I, my whole thing this year, what I feel like God has called this ministry to do and really focus on, and this is what we're working towards, and I hope that you see that we are really trying to be intentional about this, is to bring healing. I just feel for so long, you know, anyone can make a message and they can be like, wow, that was good. And then blah, 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 blah. But how do I actually, I hear what you're saying. How do I move past something as hard as betrayal in my life? I bet right now you can think in your own head about a moment when you have been betrayed. Actually, take a moment and I want you to think just for a second what is a scenario in your life where you've been betrayed? Now, some betrayals are easily forgettable. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know, she lied about me when I was in the first grade. Although to my kids, that would be a really big deal because they're in the second grade. <laughs> that would be a huge deal for them. But some betrayals we can sort of get past and move past and get over. And then there are some betrayals, the betrayal of a spouse, the betrayal of a pastor, the betrayal of a parent, the betrayal of a child, a close friend, a best friend, someone that you've spent a lot of time with. Those are the betrayals that seem to stick with us because we just can't figure out why in the world would someone treat us in that regard. A lot of times when you're talking about betrayal, you can sense it in someone's anger when they bring up uh, the topic um, that has to do with the betrayal in their life. You can hear it in how they react, how they respond. Are they soft about it? Are they not? Do they talk with contempt? Do they talk with anger in their voice? Are they defensive about it? Or are they like, yeah, that happened a long time ago and I moved on from that. You can really tell if someone has dealt the right way and healed with their betrayal or not. And I have to tell you, as I was studying through Judas, I've had lots of betrayals in my life. You know, um, I won't list them all. There's been a couple of um, betrayals that you'll never know about that that we have experienced my husband and I actually on Sunday my son came up to us my older son came up to us and he asked us a question and it was something that had to do with a betrayal in our life in Eddie and I's life and we had never told him we had never talked about it it was just something that just I think just hurt us too deeply that someone would you know betray us in this way 
And for that reason, we protect our kids. We don't tell them everything. By the way, don't tell your kids everything. Um, they, they need to be of age to understand it. But it just seemed appropriate for him to know why we had made certain decisions in our life. And we started talking and this is what came up. Betrayal. Betrayal. We've gone through all sorts of things from people in ministry from, I mean, you guys know the whole situation with my divorce before Eddie, with the church that betrayed me, they turned their back on me. I can talk to you about churches that we've been involved in that have betrayed us. I can, I can talk to you about so many different things. And the Lord was really speaking to me as I was praying for you and praying for this message about what things I haven't let go of too. So we're in this together, okay. I was able to look at several different scenarios that we have faced, I have faced personally, and then Eddie and I, we've been married forever. So a lot of stuff we deal with together. But I, I was able to, to take my own and Eddie's times in our life when we have felt betrayed, and I was able to go through them and say, I'm good. Lord, you've come in and you've healed my heart in this area. Wow, that stung, that, that was hard, it hurt. But Lord, you've come in and you've healed me there. And then there's where's a couple where I was like, mm, I need to pray through that one a little. It's a little bit, I just can't, oh, I need that. So I needed this message, guys, as I was preparing it for you. I want you to leave lighter. I want you to leave more like you know how to move forward from any betrayal that came to your mind earlier. And doing that, we're going to talk about Judas. I am going to hit so much scripture. I'm going to try to edit, guys, because I know you glaze over sometimes when I have all the scripture. I just want you to know I did my homework. I studied my butt off for this. I know where the scriptures are. I know exactly. I actually probably have read all the scriptures on Judas in the last couple of days. When we say the term 30 pieces of silver, we're going to go to that passage here in just a second. But um, Judas Iscariot is who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Judas, I want you to know, is the Greek version of the word of the Hebrew word Judah. My son is named Jude and we named him Jude. They're all they're all from the same word. Um, just one's Hebrew and one's in Greek. We named him Jude because it means praise. So Judas actually means praise, which I think is very interesting that Judas Iscariot, the guy whose name literally means praise, betrayed rather than praised the Lord. His name Iscariot would basically just tells you where he's from, okay? He is from Kerioth. Now, that really doesn't mean much. It is interesting, though, that all 11, other 11 disciples were from Galilee, and he wasn't, okay? He was the only one that was from somewhere else. But Judas Iscariot was one of Jesus's chosen disciples. And I want to read to you, and we're going to just go straight into the betrayal, okay? I'm assuming that you're like with me, you get it. We've all heard the term Judas. We've all heard about betrayal. Just come with me on this journey of betrayal, okay? I'm going to try to just use, I'm not going to go to all four gospels, although it's tempting to me. I'm going to read out of Matthew 26. And this is basically where we see the plot to kill Jesus happen. It's, it talks about in uh, Matthew 26, when Jesus had finished 
all these words. He was just talking a lot about the judgment. He said to his disciples, you know, after two days, the Passover is coming. Now, this is important just to hear the dialogue that he's saying to his disciples. You know, after two days, the Passover is coming and the son of man will, will be, listen to what he says, handed over for crucifixion. Okay. He knows he is going to be betrayed. And I'm not going to go to all those passages of scripture, but multiple times in the scripture, he talks about being betrayed before even this scene that's being played out right here. Jesus told the disciples multiple times he was going to be betrayed. Okay. And he says it again, right here. Uh, verse three, uh, Matthew 26, verse three, the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas. And they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. So they were, go they were done with Jesus at this point. They wanted to go in and they wanted to just kind of take him in the night and, you know, and kill him is what they wanted to do. Uh, verse four, and they plotted together to seize Jesus and uh, by stealth and kill him. Verse five, but they were saying, and I think this is so interesting, but they were saying not during the festival. We can't do it now. We can't do it during the festival. Otherwise, a riot might occur among the people. So what did they need in order to make all of these prophecies happen where Jesus is uh, crucified? They needed help in doing that. Okay. Uh, verse six. Now this is all around the same time. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon, the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. We all know this story. I love the CC Winans version of the song. Oh my gosh. If you've not heard it, run to Spotify and listen to it. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, why this waste? Now, if you go to John 12, 1 through 8, Judas is the one that says this. Judas says it. In uh, John 12, 1 through 8, it also says that Judas was in charge of the money and Judas stole money from the money bag that Jesus put him in charge of for all of the disciples. Judas is the one that said this, but I like the way this is, um, I like the way Matthew puts it. So we're going to stick with Matthew. So every time I, I talk about this, it's Judas. He's the one who's speaking up. The disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, why this waste? For the perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. Judas was all about himself. Go read it in John 12. You can read it for yourself. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you bother this woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you'll always have the poor with me, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for my burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory to her. Verse 14, then one of the 12 named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. 
from then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Now, I want to go over, um, I do think I want to go to Mark because I like the way that Mark Mark puts this. Just P.S., by the way, all four Gospels mention the alabaster box, or the, uh, the woman breaking the vial of perfume and anointing Jesus, all four of them. So what Jesus said everywhere the gospel is preached, you're going to hear about this woman. That's it. it he, he made good on all four gospels have, have it in there. I want to read the Mark's account because I think it's important. Verse eight, I'm going to pick it up in Mark 14, verse eight, where the the alabaster box thing had just happened. Jesus is speaking. He says, she has done what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot replied, who was one of the 12, he went off to the chief priest in order to betray them. And listen, remember what I just read. They didn't want to disrupt the festival because they were the Passover, because they were terrified of what the Jews were going to do to them. They were not going to have anyone come in and mess up their Passover. So they needed help doing it. And guess what? Judas was a great opportunity for them to take advantage of with the 30 pieces of silver because he was willing to sell Jesus out and give them exactly what, what he wanted. Um, who was one of the 12 went off to the chief priest in order to betray him. Verse 11. They were glad. They were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. Now, I read all four accounts, and I have read all four accounts over the years. And I'm sitting, and I'm like kind of uh, sitting in all these four accounts of Judas taking. It's, it's pretty interesting, you know, just to give you a little bit of backstory. In some of my study, you know, people are saying, well, maybe Judas got mad because Jesus called out Judas and he was embarrassed and Jesus called him out in front of everybody. I mean, it was like, you are not going to reprimand this woman. And it might've embarrassed him. I don't know. Through all, all the, the four accounts, we find out that Jesus did put him in charge of the money, but he was stealing. He was taking money for himself. And you can read that. You can uh, read that for yourself in the, in the word. I started to see this picture come together of Judas. And I realized that Judas had been a part of the gang from the very, very beginning. I want to read this to you because we see sort of what's happening at the end of Jesus's ministry here. But the beginning of Jesus's ministry began to intrigue me even more than the end. In Mark 3, Jesus is choosing his disciples. It says in Mark 3, I'll uh, pick it up in verse 10, for he had healed many, Jesus had healed many, with the result that all these who had afflictions pressed around him in order to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw Jesus or him, they would fall down before him and shout, you're the son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. Verse 13. This is the passage of scripture I couldn't get out of. And he went up on the mountain and summoned these whom he himself wanted. And they came to him. 
Let me read it again. And he went up on the mountain and summoned these whom he himself wanted. And they came to him. Reading on. And he appointed 12 so that he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and they he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the 12, Simon, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Mew, uh, Matthew, Thomas, James, uh, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And he came home and the crowd gathered again to such extent that they could not even eat a meal. Now, we serve a God that knows the end from the beginning. This is the first time that we see J Judas even named in the scripture. This is when he names, you know, all of, of the disciples. But Jesus knew when he picked Judas, Judas is going to betray me. One of the things that I want to bring out to you, and I think Luke says it best, so let me go to Luke really, really quick and read this to you, is that as he picked Judas as one of the 12, he handpicked these guys. Do you know how many people follow Jesus on a regular basis? Uh, I don't know, probably hundreds. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you if all of a sudden someone with an issue of blood don't have blood anymore or someone who was blind now they could see? Wouldn't you be like, where is he at? I want to follow him. I want to see what he's up to. You know, if he was preaching at your church, you'd be buying a ticket to go see where he was. You go to the afterglow, you go to the after party, you go to the before party, you try to get whatever. If this guy is healing people, on the spot, he's going to have a ton of people that are following right behind him. But even though he had other people to choose from that wouldn't betray him, he still chose to include the one that would. Not only did he choose to include the one that would, he also chose to give the one that would definitely betray him power. Listen, Luke 9 says this, and he called the 12 together, the 12, not the 11. He called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all demons to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. That's listed multiple times in the scripture as well. But for the sake of time, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to spare you all my scripture that I have like jumbled up in my brain. He personally invited the betrayer in. Multiple times throughout scripture, he would say things like 11 of you I've chosen, or 12 of you I have chosen, but one of you are the devil. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine hearing that? Like, which one? Which one is it, Lord? Which one is it? Multiple times in scripture, he talks about being betrayed that I don't have time to get everything to. But this when I came to this, when I understood and, and really had the realization that he could have chosen anyone, he could have chosen the person with the squeaky clean um, integrity. He could have chosen the person that had absolutely no problems. They did what they said that they were going to do. They never, they certainly wouldn't take money from the money pot. 
I wouldn't do any of those things when I have the realization that out of everyone he chose, he actually chose his own betrayer. It completely devastated me. And not only did he choose him, he also gave him things. He also gave him a supernatural power. Listen to what it says. I'm going to read it again in Luke 9. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all the demons to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim, what was Judas proclaiming? The kingdom of God and to perform healing. He treated Judas the betrayer no different than he treated John, the disciple that Jesus loved. I'm going to be honest, this convicted me to my core. If I've got an option, guys, <laughs> I'm like, oh, you have a history of betraying people and you don't. I'm going to choose the one who doesn't betray. That's what I'm going to choose for myself. I mean, wouldn't you choose that? Who wants to set themselves up for a betrayal? But yet Jesus chose him, even though he knew that there was sin in him and what was going to transpire in the future. He chose him. And guys, he didn't walk for him for, uh, with him for a year. He didn't walk for him for a week. He walked for with Jesus for three and a half years, almost. He ate with him. Like, this is making me tear up. He traveled with him. He did incredible ministry with this guy. Judas heard, love your enemies. Be good to those who hurt you. And I was just having this realization with Eddie last night. Oh, my goodness. Jesus is speaking and he's saying, this is the greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he's got Judas who's rolling with him, who he knows is going to betray him. And he is living what he is actually saying. Be good to love your enemies. Be good to those who hurt you. The entire sermon on the Mount, Judas definitely heard. Judas was privy to things I wish I could, because I think to myself, I wouldn't have done that to Jesus. And yet, he had a seat at the table. He had a seat where I would have said the seat is saved for someone that's not going to stab me in the back. How do we, why? Why did he do that? How could he do that? This blew me away for days. Why would you do that? I understand that there's prophecies. I understand, but you have to remember Jesus was 100% God. Yes, but he was also 100% man. The 100% man of him was choosing for Judas to walk with him in the most intimate time in Jesus's life where he was mocked the most, where he was trying to be, to be killed the most, where he was um, despised the most. Um, when he became public, that's when everyone started hating him. And Judas had a front row seat to Jesus's emotions, to his conversations, to all of his teachings. He, he saw all of his healings. He helped pass out the five loaves and two fish. He helped bring them all back in. He saw Jesus walk on the water. He saw Peter get out of the boat. He saw all of these things happen, knowing that at the end of it all, he was going to say, I don't care 
30 pieces of silver, which by the way, is the cost of a slave in Bible times. That's worth more to me than this. That wrecked me. Maybe it wrecked me because I realized I would not do that. <laughs> what I've been praying over the last couple of days is why? Why'd you do it? Why'd you choose them? Why did you give them all that power? Why did, God, why, why did you give a dude supernatural power to go out and heal people in your name because he didn't have less of a portion. He had the same amount of portion. He had the same thing. Him and John had the same thing. Now you will see when there was intimate moments like the transfiguration and the in Gethsemane, Jesus pulls Peter and John close to him. He, there are his homies. There's like his close homies, but Judas was there. Judas wasn't even in Gethsemane, but he was around for the transfiguration. Why? I just, as I was begging God for, tell me why, this is crazy. It's almost as if the Lord said to me, I wanna read it, I wanna get it. Because he knew his father was a God of justice. I wanna paint maybe a different picture in your mind about maybe your betrayal. I know we hear from you guys. I hear, I hear about the husbands that have gone off. I hear about the family members that have rejected you. We hear us so much, you guys. I hear so much about church hurt. So-and-so said they were gonna do this and then they didn't. So-and-so went behind my back. So-and-so betrayed my trust. So-and-so did this. So-and-so, I just found out that there was a whole scheme to get me. My dad was even trying to try, well, tried, and then it succeeded eventually, tried to be ousted out of his church because there was a bunch of people that got up and betrayed him, people that he'd been ministering to for 20 years. Why, God, why would you allow this? Why would you allow this? completely and utterly unfazed. Jesus was unfazed. He looked at Judas multiple times and he said, you know, one of you will betray me, one of you are gonna betray me, I'm gonna be betrayed or whatever. But other than that, Jesus was pretty unfazed. He allowed him in his inner circle and yet he was unfazed. I couldn't figure that out. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me and he said, it's because I know that my God is a, my God, my father is the God of justice. And he was not going to let the betrayal be the last word. He is just, he does just things. He will bring justice. So I was allowed to let him into my inner circle. I was allowed to let him in side, I was allowed to let him see my supernatural power because I had 100% full faith in God, my father, and I knew that he wouldn't let the betrayal slide. If you look throughout scripture, you guys, Isaiah 38 says, for the Lord is a God of justice. Isaiah 9, 7 says, he will uphold his throne in, in justice. Isaiah 68 says, I, the Lord, love justice. Jeremiah 9.24 says he practices in justice. Psalm 9.7 says he establishes his throne for 
justice. Job 37, 23 says, the almighty, we cannot find him. He is great in power, justice, and abundant righteousness, and he will not tolerate unrighteousness. I forgot, I stopped writing, so I don't actually know what the end of that verse says. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, for all his ways are just. And it hit me. He could choose to choose someone that he knew was going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver because he was so confident in God the Father and that he was going to come through and that he was going to shut everybody's mouths and that he was going to raise him up and he was going to do exactly what he says he was, that he put in this beautiful story of his crucifixion and resurrection. He put in an example of how me and you can move through betrayal, come through it, heal from it and actually be better on the other side of it. He put an example right in the middle of his life um, being crucified for you and for me. So we do not have to consistently, constantly live in a state of anger or frustration at that pastor or frustration at that spouse or frustration at that child or that mother. We don't have to perpetually live in a state of anger or hate or bitterness or whatever it is because he showed us how to be betrayed and fully cling onto his father because he's just we don't like to talk about justice we like to talk about grace we like to talk about his love and oh my goodness does he not have love for us thank you jesus we love to talk about his faithfulness we love to talk about all of these other things that are so light and fluffy and we want to know but we don't we rarely talk about his justice what would happen if someone betrayed your son? Would you let it slide? What would happen if someone betrayed your daughter? Would you let it slide? It'd be hard. We have God the Father who sees every single betrayal before it happens three years before it happens. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees the betrayal in action. He sees the conspiracy during it when you don't know anything about it. He knows. Jesus knew the whole time that he was going to be betrayed. He knew the whole time. He knew the end from the beginning, and yet he chose him anyway. Why? Because he wants us to follow his example. He was unfazed. Uh, he was not swayed. Why? Because he knew that the Lord, his God, was just, and he would take care of it. Deuteronomy 32 says this, um, vengeance is mine. I will replay. I want repay. I want to go to Romans and I want to, I want to talk about, uh, this here just for a second where it says, it talks about Romans 12, 17 through nine. It says this, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. It's, it's cross-referencing back and it's uh, quoting Deuteronomy right there. Whatever has happened to you, whatever betrayal, whatever lie, whatever the small group did to you and you can't get over, you're so mad at them, you can't handle 
whatever that person in authority did, and you're just so bitter about it, you can't deal. The parent that betrayed you, the child that betrayed you, the best friend that betrayed you. You can stand today claiming this promise as I have claimed so many times over the years. Lord, take care of it. You take care of it. I'm not going to take care of this because you're going to take care of it. I was talking to someone earlier today um, about betrayal, and this person has been betrayed multiple times, and we were having just a conversation about what do you think about when you're betrayed? What do you need to know when you're betrayed? And they said this one thing, I want everyone to know what the truth is, and I want to know that God sees and he's going to take care of it. I want to read this to you in John 18, 1 through 11. We see the actual betrayal in the act. And it says this, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with the disciples over the ravine of Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples, Garden of Gethsemane. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with the disciples. Judas then having received the Roman cohort. Now, cohort can be up to 600 men. And I did some study on this and I was like, really, did he bring that many people? I don't know, he could have. That's what a cohort means, lots of people. A Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Look how they came to meet Jesus. He knew he was being betrayed and this is what they said. So Jesus, knowing all these things, like I just said, that were coming upon him, went forth and said, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus, the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing there with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell on the ground. Therefore, he said again, whom do you seek? And they say, Jesus, the Nazarene. Jesus said, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let everybody go. So they uh, let everybody go. And he went with them. Peaceful unfaced. Why? Because he knew that his God was watching his only son getting betrayed. And he knew that God, the father, was going to have the last word. He had no need to fight. He had no need to be angry. He had no need to be mad. Because what happened after his crucifixion, just three days later, God had the final word. God showed everyone exactly who his son was when he resurrected from the dead. One of the things that the um, the person I was talking to today on the phone said, they said, uh, you know, I, I also want the truth to come out when I'm personally betrayed. I want the truth to come out. Now, this is a little gruesome, but I'm going to read it anyway, just because it's in the scripture. Judas was able to take Jesus and he was able to take him back and they were able to, you know, go before Caiaphas and, you know, Pilate and all the things and Herod and then back to Pilate and, you know, the whole thing. But before all of this happened, immediately after Judas betrayed Jesus, this is what happened to Judas. Matthew 27 says this. Now, when the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, which I just said, the governor. Verse three, then Judas, who had betrayed him, 
saw that he had been condemned and he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the sanctuary and departed and he went away and he hanged himself. That's what the scripture says. The chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, it's not lawful for us to put them in the temple treasury since it is the price of blood. And they conferred together with the money and bought a potter's field. And to this day, it's named the field of blood. Now listen, what did Judas do? How did God bring about truth? Judas felt convicted and went and told the chief priest, I shouldn't have done this. He's innocent. Take your money back. I feel remorse. I want to minister to you for a second because the truth came out and Jesus was exonerated on that Sunday morning when he rose from the dead and appeared for days and days and days to multiple people proving that he actually did rise from the dead. What betrayal have you faced that you just cannot move forward? What is it? What do you think about on wanting to see other people know what the truth is? What do you think about when you think about that? Is it, is it anger or do you have angst? Do you have frustration? Do you have, uh, what is it? Because we need to look at Jesus's example so much closer in this Easter season. And we need to take a page from his book. He let him in. Yes, you let him in. You let that person in. You let that family member in. You, you let that church uh, person in. You let that leader in. You let those kids in. You let your, uh, your family in. And all of a sudden, this happens. How can you remain unfazed or start becoming unfazed? It's realizing that God, when he sees his kids messed with, he steps in for us. He steps in and says, no, no, no. Just like I just read in Deuteronomy. And just like I just read in, oh my gosh, where was it? I have so many pages of notes here. Romans, vengeance is mine. Don't take matters in your, don't do that. I will bring about the truth. I will bring about awareness in a way that you can never do if you tried for a thousand years. Let me prove that what happened to you was wrong and give it to me because I love you. You're my child. I want to take this from you. And I want to show people that I am a God of justice and I am not going to stand for injustice in your situation. I, I was so broad. I was so emotional about this, you guys, because he's done this for me a hundred times. I thought very specifically about one situation that I faced that devastated me. Someone I had let in, someone I had let into my life. And this person totally betrayed me. And I was thinking through this today how God has come in. And I didn't say one word. <laughs> I just was quiet. You don't have to speak for yourself. As a matter of fact, don't, don't, don't talk. Nobody needs to know. It's fine. Don't talk. Wait and watch 
how God will bring about justice on your behalf. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my goodness, Lord, look at what you have done. And I didn't have to say one word. That is why Jesus could stand before um, the Sanhedrin and, and Pilate and all those and not say anything. He was, he didn't have to fight. Why? Because God, the God of justice was fighting for him. When we internalize all this stuff and when we don't say, God, I believe what you said in Deuteronomy. I believe what you said in um, Romans. I believe that you're going to take charge of this and you're going to show people I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do this. They're saying all this. I didn't do this. They're, they're trying to um, do something to me specifically. I didn't, I didn't do this. Show them, Lord, the truth. He will do it. I could go into so many examples of him operating on me and my family's behalf. One of the last things that Jesus said was, Father, forgive them because they know not what they are doing. And maybe that's a stance that we need to take today. Maybe you need to take it. Maybe like Jesus you need to slam your stability, not on any anger, any bitterness. You need to slam your stability in the God of justice. And because he's faithful and because he's good and because you're his kid, you need to say, Father, forgive him and I forgive them. They didn't know it was going to hurt me this bad. Forgive me for holding this in for so long. I'm choosing to step forward in faith based on your character, not my feelings, your character, your word, your truth. Forgive them. I forgive them. I want to move forward. It's so healing when we just give it over to the Lord. It changes your life. I hear the Lord saying they've carried it too long. They've let it affect their life more than it should. I'll deal with them. They needed to heal themselves. I'll be the God of justice because that's what I'm good at and you're not. They need to heal. You need to heal. You need to become unfazed like Jesus. Not because he didn't do anything wrong, because he did. Because Jesus knew who his father was, the God of justice. So, Lord, we love you today and we praise you. What a word, Lord. What an example. Thank you, Father, that you have put such an incredible example of humanity and faith and divinity all wrapped up in one. I pray for that person, God, right now that is like, I just can't do it. What if I get hurt again? Well, Lord, I pray that you would say, you might. You might get hurt again. But if you do, I'm still the God of justice. Lord, tell them you are still the God of justice. You are still the God who sees. Even if they open themselves up and get hurt again, you're still going to see. You're still going to handle it. You're still going to take care of it because justice is yours and not theirs. Bring healing, Lord. Bring peace. Thank you, God, for moving. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your example. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Wait, wait.
every day a new day yeah vibing in the spirit makes me have a blessed day yeah let's go x y z a yeah what do you do when you can relate more to jezebel rahab or eve rather than esther or mary to her shock, author Autumn Miles discovered most of the heroes of the Bible were plagued with the same problem. They were ordinary people who sinned deeply, but God's love, mercy, and truth proved greater. In her book, I Am Rahab, Autumn provides a better understanding of God with a focus on the breadth of His reach to use and redeem all things for His purposes. You will find comfort in relating to Rahab the biblical harlot and to Autumn's own raw story of surviving domestic abuse and will be encouraged to know you are not alone in a life disrupted by bad choices, nor are you meant to stay there. You can move forward from your past and have an abundant future. To find out how you can get a copy of I Am Rahab, go to autumnmiles.com and click on the Books tab. That's autumnmiles.com. Every day, a new day, yeah. Vibing in the spirit makes me have a blessed day, yeah. Let's go. X, Y, Z, A. Yeah. Okay, coming back from the break, I hope that brought you some healing. I hope that brought you some understanding um, in your own situation. I, you know, sometimes hearing the word of God and believing him is two totally different things. And this is when we have to apply some of those obscure scriptures that you're like, is it really going to happen? Yes, yes, it is. His word is true. His word is ironclad. We must apply these scriptures, especially in this type of a situation. Okay. I have a testimony from one of you guys today, and this is really cool. I was on uh, Dr. Dobson family talk, like in 2019, it's when I released a gangster prayer. We actually got a message and it says at the end of that show, Dr. Dobson had asked me, what is something that brought you out of such a hard time in your life? Talking about my first marriage and, and everything. And I said, Psalm 91, Psalm 91 saved my life. You guys, I was on the verge of giving it all up. And I opened my Bible to Psalm 91 and it saved my life. There is something about this scripture that's unbelievable. Well, this girl uh, or boy, cause there's no name heard this on the radio psalm 91 she says or he brought me through some tough times even more so when i changed it to the first person i love this perspective surely he verse 3 will save me from the fowler's snare he will cover me with his feathers and under his wings i find refuge a thousand will fall at my side I heard you on James Dobson family talk on the way home from work and had to share. May the Lord continue to bless. Um, I think it's so interesting. We got a lot of messages about this particular episode. I was like, where are these people? Why are these people hearing me in, you know, Indiana on the radio? And um, it was so cool that that aired. So we actually got several uh, messages and emails and stuff like that, that about it. So thanks for listening. Thanks for writing in. We do have a question and I think it's a great question. She says, I've been married 11 years. At this current time, we are separated. I don't want a divorce in all caps. I do not want a divorce. 
We separated because of issues both of us, in all caps, um, were having at the time. We're reconciling and working on it at this point, but I struggle trusting him, her husband, due to lying. I just don't feel I can count on him like I once did. How can I move past this and be the woman he married and get the man I married back? I know Jesus put us together and I know that the devil is trying to rip us apart, but I need help on letting it all go. This is a really transparent question, but I absolutely love it and wanted to answer it anyway. Amanda was like, are you sure you want to answer this today? And I'm like, yes, let's do it. The struggle in the marriage is lying and lack of trust. And I, and I definitely know that this is a lot of people's struggle, especially when there's, you know, infidelity involved. And she didn't say that there was, I'm just saying there's a, there's a lot of problems with how do you build the trust back? Can you build the trust back? The answer is a hundred percent. Absolutely. We just talked about a God who raised himself from the dead. So your marriage Ain't nothing for the Lord, but it will take work. I will say this, a biblical counselor is paramount in situations like this. If you don't, if you haven't gone to a biblical counselor and they aren't working with you on your marriage, you need to do that. Obviously, they're going to have the practical tips and applications for you to do that in ways that he can practically build back your trust. But I have to say, Trusting your husband is vitally, extremely important. And it sounds as if he's game too. He doesn't want a divorce either. And he's working on things as well. I, um, I want you to know in times that you can't trust him, you can trust the Lord. In times that you struggle trusting your husband because he has lied or there is something or even a wife that has lied, that's been, that's not told the truth. When you cannot trust them, you can trust the Lord who the Bible says specifically never lies. Okay. So in a situation like this, I would obviously go through practical steps to help rebuild the truth in your marriage, but your husband is not the all uh, end all be all. You have to trust the Lord and ask the Lord to convict him and ask the Lord to work on him in this area. As you are also communicating that to your spouse, trust is huge. But at the end of the day, anything could happen at any time. And, but for the grace of God, we all could do something um, where, where we would be untrustworthy in a marriage. Okay. So understand that your full trust needs to be in the Lord who is trustworthy, who by his spirit will work through both of you to convict him, to convict you, to put things back together. But if you don't, if you are just looking at your husband and saying, you, you have to be trustworthy, obviously that's an important foundation for any marriage. And it's important, especially, and will take longer to rebuild after the trust is lost, but it can be done. But right now, rather than focusing on him, you need to focus on your trust in the Lord. Does God want you in this marriage? If that's a yes, which it seems like it is, you need to say, okay, Lord, then work in him as you're communicating with your husband. And also understand this, it takes time. It takes time. It takes him proving himself over and over, sometimes for years, and over and over and over. And sometimes that's not even enough which is why your foundation of trust has to be in a God that says, I put you together for my purposes and for my glory. And secondarily, while you're also communicating 
with your husband. I hope this helps. Definitely um, find a biblical counselor and or pastor or someone who specializes in uh, marriage counseling with a biblical perspective. I'm telling you what, it'll change your life. It'll be amazing for you. Thank you guys so much for listening. You've got to come back next week. We're going to do part two of Easter 30 pieces. It's going to be good. Love y'all. I hope this encouraged you. I know this was a long one today. God bless. Thanks for staying with me. I'll see you next time on the Autumn Mile Show. Have an awesome week. Thanks for tuning in to the Autumn Mile Show. Be sure to follow Autumn on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube to stay connected and in the loop with what's happening with the ministry. Just search for Autumn Miles in your internet browser. AutumnMiles.com is also the place where you can book Autumn for your next speaking engagement. She is devoted to spiritually challenging people and the way that they think. She is a passionate advocate for the Word of God, women, domestic violence victims, and adoption. Reach out today and book Autumn for your next speaking engagement. Just go to autumnmiles.com. Once you're there, search the top of the index for the Invite Autumn tab. Then scroll down for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to tune in next time for another episode of The Autumn Mile Show.